cobwebs off my voice. Good morning. This is Driving Theology, and my name is Mike. And uh, believe it or not, we are in the building on the seventh year. We're going toward our eighth year of this podcast. Started in the end of 2015. It's now 2023, so... Yeah, getting close to my 300th uh, episode. I think we're in the 280s, something like that, right now. Uh, and I'm not really happy with the direction this podcast is going. I, all right, I, I should say I'm, there's probably no direction. Um, and I think because I do this podcast, podcast, podcast somewhat off the cuff and un, unedited and, and as raw as possible, as real as possible, um, makes it kind of a reflection of where my life is, right? <coughs> Sorry. Part of being old, you get a little congested in the morning. And I'm getting over a two-week cold. <coughs> so, yeah, I... Man, my, my, my podcast, and I would say my spiritual life at this point, does lack any uh, intentional direction. I know it's not something you want to hear if you're just uh, tuning into this podcast, but I want to be as real with you guys as I can. Um, COVID really put a wrench in things, I think for everybody around the world, really, in one way or another. And one thing it did for us is it stopped our our gatherings. And what I'm finding out, it's too bad I'm finding this out when I'm 54 years old. But anyway, it is what it is, I guess. But what I'm finding out is that when you do things like that in your house, when you are... Um, doing a regular thing in your house when you start it there's there's such hope and promise and energy behind the endeavor right oh sorry my mic has turned I'm gonna fiddle with the mic just a minute it's not on very well it's kind of funky sorry about that um so and then, and then once it's going, once that machinery is turning, uh, you know, it's all new, it's, it's exciting, it's, it's fun, people are, you know, everybody's having a good time, and it's, it's a, you know, it's new, it's, it's fresh, it's, it's interesting, and we were able to keep that up, I think, because we really stayed consistent with it for um, probably something like, let me see, well, about eight years, about eight years, we were, or more than that, actually, nine, maybe nine, almost ten years, we were real consistent with it, actually ten years, yeah, and all that time, it kind of kept that same, well, no, there were some, there were some ups and downs in the, in the gathering group. By the way, what I'm talking about is a church home gathering group, right? 
I don't like to use the word church. I usually use the word gathering, but just in case you're, you know, not used to my nomenclature. Um, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and so we hosted that in our house, a small group, uh, for 10 years straight. And then, you know, once COVID came in, it, it became less and less and fewer and fewer, fewer people. And at the same time, in those 10 years, my wife and I have been aging, right? We've been getting older. And, and in that time, we've also started taking care of uh, my father-in-law, who is very old and really can't do anything for himself, uh, uh, including getting, getting around the house and all that stuff. So we started doing that as, you know, 50-year-old, 50 50-somethings. Uh, and that takes a lot of our energy. So once, once we had an excuse, I'm using this lightly because this was not something we actually thought about. This was not in our thinking process. But once we had an excuse to not meet, you know, like where we were not even supposed to meet because of COVID restrictions and whatnot, all that uh, time age and busyness caught up with us uh, combined with the just the the darkness that covid brought the the you know dare i say depression and and uh you know just just all all around bad vibes that we all experienced in the covid era <clears throat> made it to where now even you know if we would feel like we should or would like to start up our gatherings again the energy behind it and all of all that that entails is pretty hard to come up with right now <laughs> pretty hard to come up with and I think there's the there's the 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 other part of that is that we really wish uh, some of the younger people in our group would take up the mantle and, and kind of begin hosting Right, would would learn from us who've you know been with us for a while, and that they would kind of take it over, at least part time. You know that they would have the same passion and desire to do uh, what we've been doing. But of course, they've all got their own uh, lives and their own things that they've gone through during COVID, and, and you know, and just you know, general life stuff, having kids, and you know, all the same problems. Maybe not all the same problems, but problems nonetheless. And so it's been very difficult to get our, our group back up and running. And this podcast was always meant to be uh, kind of a check and balance to for myself. You know, where am I? Uh, am I, you know, am I, am I, am I in a good place to, to lead this group? Um, as much as there was a leader. Um, and so that, that was a, a good use for it, right? For me to be able to check myself, to go back, to have a record of my theology, to, uh, to really look at things closely. And it has done that. You know, of course, I've talked about other reasons that I did the podcast. I like the fact that if for some reason uh, I... Uh, die young, die early. Uh, my daughters and my 
hopefully grandkids one day. Uh, maybe my wife will have a place to go hear my voice and, and talk about, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. Talk about all kinds of life stuff. Um, and see how uh, occasionally insightful, but mostly crazy, their, <laughs> their, their father or grandfather was. Uh, uh, I'm sure I've said some crazy stuff on this thing, and crazy things have happened as I'm driving the, in the car. But I have some probably 200 hours, 200 hours of recorded podcasts. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's really as much of a weekly journal as anything, you know. Um, I do talk about things that are, are happening in my life at the time and uh, things like that. So it is a record of, of my life and what's going on in the world through my eyes uh, during that time um, to some extent. Uh, and also sometimes it's occasionally theological. Know, we, we get into some some ideas about um, who who I have found the divine to be in my from my perspective in my opinions and through my eyes and my eyes only right I mean um, of course I talk about what other people might think or what people have written or, or you know I uh, have had the occasional guest on here um, but I, I really am struggling with the direction of the podcast. And so today, as I did a couple weeks ago, I, I opened up my Bible app and, and very telling, it was in the same place it was a couple weeks ago when I chose Matthew 24. Uh, of course, I have my Bible app on several things, but I don't, right now, I'm not in, I'm not in a Bible reading mode. I'm not... For whatever reason, I'm not motivated to read my Bible right now. But uh, I did uh, glance over Matthew 24, what I talked about a few, maybe a month or two ago, actually now. I think my views on Matthew 24 is what it's called, something like that. And I, you know, I saw the very last, very last paragraph. And the very last paragraph is a really disturbing parable. Uh, and it's a parable that Jesus apparently is telling uh himself, or at least that's how Matthew has written it, that Jesus has told this parable. And it's very disturbing because it's, it's one of the places in, in the New Testament where you can point uh, and say, see, Jesus does believe in violence. See, Jesus is uh, also uh, participating in the violent world by his words. I know that's a bit of a contradiction. But words can incite violence, if nothing else. Um, and certainly Jesus had some influence. So I want to talk about it. And it, it's one of these, uh, you know, master and slave parables that are so common in the New Testament. And in this one, uh, the master has a, a slave, a favorite slave perhaps, uh, who is in charge of... Uh, distributing the allowance of food, daily allowance of food, to all of the other slaves. That's his job. So when the master is away, his job is to make sure all of the master's slaves are fed. Now, already as I'm starting to talk about this, I'm getting vibes of, of church leaders. 
right? Uh, church elders, people who are uh, in charge of uh, um, shepherding or guiding or quote-unquote uh, leading the Jesus way, I will for sure say, uh, the people of the people of God, right? The, God's family, God's children. Um, and it is interesting that this is happening in Matthew 24 because not long after this, obviously, Jesus uh, goes to his death and his execution. And, and perhaps this is a message to his uh, apostles uh, that, you know, the master will be gone away soon and I hope you will take care of my, uh, my children. Now, yes, he uses the slave and master technology, but again, I think this was kind of a genre of parables that perhaps rabbis everywhere would have told. And to tell you the truth, I did not want to talk about this today. It was, it was, I was looking at it and I was thinking, you know, I really would rather not um, talk about this because it's one of those things that's really uncomfortable. You know, it's, it's not, it's uncomfortable because I have a certain view of who I think Jesus is, and this parable, at least on the face of things, uh, contradicts that, that assessment, right? Um, so, the master goes away. The slave, apparently, does not do his duty well, Right? Uh, he has not done everything he's supposed to do. So while the master is away, the slave is shirking his responsibilities, or at least that's the implication, because uh, it does say that um, if if the slave know, I believe, I only read through this once this morning, but I think this is what it says. If the slave knows when the master is coming, he will be ready. But if the slave is not prepared, and the master comes at a time when the slave is not ready for his returning, then the master will find him in dereliction of his duties, for example, uh, not having done his job, not having done what he was supposed to do. And if that happens, if that happens, then it's <laughs> this is the hardest part of this parable. The master is going to cut him to pieces. Right? The master will cut him to pieces and throw him in with the... Oh, what is it? What's the group of people? Basically, throw him in with the people who are weeping and gnashing their teeth. Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So it says, cut him in pieces. Now, of course, this elicits a incredibly violent uh, image, right? Is the master actually going to, you know, take out a, a sword or a knife and, and cut him into actual pieces, right? Um, I'm stopped at a light, and I'm going to try to get this out because I want to make sure I'm getting some of this correct anyway, and I don't think I'm going to make it, but we'll try Come on, come on. Bump, bump. Bump, bump. Okay, there it is right there. That's what we want. Oh, it's not going to let me 
my iPad. So that's the hard thing, right? So basically, you're going to read this parable um, in a way that reflects your uh, eschatology. If you read this as eschatological or not, right? And by eschatology, I mean the basically theology that deals with the end of times. Uh, is this a uh, parable about hell? About the master actually sending uh, his slave to hell because he didn't do his duties? He wasn't ready when the master came back unexpectedly? Uh, or is there something else going on here? Is there another layer of meaning? Is there perhaps missing information? Uh, is there perhaps information that needs to be intuited? Um, which, of course, we all do it anyway. We're all going to intuit what we think it means, again, by basically who we are and, and what we think. Uh, if, if we are Christian at all, what we think uh, about our, you know, what our eschatological views are. Or even soteriology, right? I guess they both kind of, they're almost two sides of a coin, but not really. Anyway, so uh, the master comes back unexpected, finds the slave uh, not doing his duties, not ready for his return. He, he cuts him up into pieces and then puts him with uh, other people who are weeping and gnashing their teeth. I'm not even sure what gnashing of your teeth means, but I, I suppose it's like teeth grinders who who grind their teeth and, and, and bare their teeth. and, and uh, it, it could be like teeth grinding, which is like uh, worrying, right? People who are worriers are always grinding their teeth. Um, uh, you know, worrying, worrying, worrying. But I think a lot of people have, you know, when they make, what do you call it, films of, of this kind of stuff, the gnashing of teeth, it's usually like baring their teeth, like, like, like have become like animals, gnashing their teeth. I'm not even sure what it means. I really need to look that up. Uh, yeah, I don't know if modern translations change gnashing to something else. It's a good question. Oh, sorry. Just have to drink of my latte. Mm. Good stuff. So, so I decided to tackle this parable because what I've been telling you guys is you need to ask all those uncomfortable questions, and how can I, how can I not, right? <clears throat> So here's my question to Jesus. Jesus, why would you use such language that can be taken uh, violently, that can be understood so violently? The, the, the cutting up, to cut up, right? Which elicits, to me, in my modern context, dismemberment, right? We have all of these, uh, you know, uh, TV shows and movies about serial killers 
and you know them dismembering bodies and burying parts and it's a very grotesque picture and we could see because of our knowledge of how bad some masters have been in the history of the world we could see a master doing this to a slave as a warning to other slaves do your duties or you're going to end up like Fred <laughs> um, poor Fred uh, he's he's in pieces uh, but but um, I don't I, I because I, th I think I have a good and solid picture of who Jesus is who the Christ is <clears throat> Jesus was the precursor of the Christ yes he was the Christ but um, I think I think the Christ became the Christ uh, after Jesus' death and in his resurrection Jesus became the universal Christ um, <clears throat> I think how do I say this I think he has to be saying something else I think there has to be something we're missing um, and again this goes down to character uh, because I think I think I have been given a wonderful um, idea of who Christ is whether if you want to believe through revelation or through my own mind or whatever uh, I think I have seen the beautiful Christ at least at least caught a glimpse of him at least caught a glimpse of him and his beauty and his goodness and his his hesed nature rules out the fact that he is talking about actually dismembering a body uh, and, and besides and besides he's putting the body with other people who are obviously alive they're weeping and they're gnashing their teeth so dead dead bodies don't cry and dead bodies don't gnash their teeth <clears throat> um, but I think what he's saying is uh, there are consequences to to not taking care of people this this slave's job was to watch over to take care of to make sure that the other slaves are fed he was a a slave of slaves he was a leader of the slaves he was given responsibility he was given the trust of the master and his job was meant to pass on to carry on what the master was doing and the consequences of not of not passing on uh, what the master gave you to give to everyone else uh, can be dire and and I think I think that's being that this is a parable right it's not meant to be uh, realistic about you know dismembering bodies or anything like that being that, th that it's a parable I think there is a license to use all kinds of language that will elicit the correct response and I have a feeling there are other cultural things that that we have lost or that I have just missed because I haven't researched this enough there are cultural ideas of this cutting up and one one of one idea 
is we even use this in the modern world, right? When we cut somebody down, we insult them. Uh, we, we say something bad about them or their family or their mother. It's a way to humble people. And it's almost a game. It was a game when I was a high school kid, right? We would have battles, basically, of words. And whoever could say the most hurtful word and and stop the other person from responding is the winner. It's a very cruel game. <clears throat> and I don't know why we did it, uh, except that those of us who were good at words were good at this kind of thing. Right? Uh, it, it was it was a pastime. It was I know it's weird, uh, but it's really no different than a you know say a sword fight or something like that. Right? Whoever whoever deals the the strongest and most harmful blow is the winner. In any any sporting event, that's that's the case. My Celtics. Oh, my Celtics lost yesterday in a game seven against the Miami Heat. Uh, and and the Heat were just able to deal the strongest and most devastating uh, attack, and they did it over 48 minutes. And the Celtics uh, were unable to respond in kind. They were unable to reciprocate. So, <clears throat> what I'm saying is, perhaps what <clears throat> the master does here is he knocks knocks the uh, the slave down a few uh, ranks and puts him in with all the the people who are weeping and gnashing their teeth because they don't have the food that the ma that the slave was supposed to give them at the master's behest. <clears throat> right? It's the master who is ultimately in charge of feeding his, his slaves. Again, we're using master and slave terminology. I don't like it, but that's what the Bible uses, so let's just stay with it. Um, it was the master's job to take care of his slaves, and he had to go away. And so he left his trusted slave in charge, who did not do his duties. And perhaps because he did not do his duties, uh, he did not do his job. Uh, I don't like saying the word duty. <laughs> I'll get demonetized. No, I'm not making any money off this anyway. <laughs> uh, perhaps the fact that he uh, didn't do his job, that's why everybody is weeping and gnashing their teeth. They're hungry. They're starving. They've been neglected. And they're completely dependent on the master. And therefore, on the master's top slave. And so maybe what happens is when the master comes home and finds the slave uh, probably well-fed and taken care of, but all the other slaves uh, neglected, he puts that slave with all the neglected slaves see how they, they see how he likes it maybe he's just sitting in the mess he's made maybe that's where the master demotes him to it's like okay this is the mess you've made go see what it's like you're going to be out there too now again this is a this is a parable and parables were a genre of of the ancient world right they were something that that were used um 
and part 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 of the reason they were used is because people were largely illiterate, and this was a way to remember, right? Um, it had elements of story uh, and and um, narrative that would help people remember what they needed, what what the rabbi thought they should remember. <clears throat> Right, so what the rabbi wants them to remember is do your responsibility, help other people. Right? You're given the responsibility to help people. Do it, right? Or there may be consequences in your whatever the reason is the slave did not do his job. Whether it's, you know, laziness, uh, whether it's um, just meanness person, whatever it is, uh, there are natural consequences to our actions. And you may be uh, the person, ultimately, that you hurt the most. Maybe that's what it is. By hurting other people, the person that's hurt the most in the end is you. You hurt yourself. Now that's, I don't mean that we should, you know, have a selfish reason for not, <laughs> for helping people, right? For for not neglecting people, we don't need to be selfish uh, in that case. Um, but uh, I I do think that's that's true. I do think it is true. I think it's demonstra demonstrably true that those who hurt others in the end hurt themselves. Those who hurt others in the end hurt themselves. And it's just the consequences of what happens. It's, it's you know, not anything that you didn't do to yourself. It's, it's, it's just that. You, you end up hurting yourself when you end up hurting others. Now, the other, you know, side of this, and we've talked about this in the past, that those who hurt other people have been hurt themselves. Right? They are probably victims of cruelty themselves, and they pass on that cruelty as a way to survive. Nonetheless, this parable comes at the end of Matthew 24. Matthew 24, as we talked about before, is about what some people have termed rapture, where, where a lot of rapture theology gets its scriptural foundation. I don't believe that's what it's talking about. Nonetheless, this is where it is. <clears throat> Basically, in my in my view, Matthew twenty four is warning the people to, to stop being violent. Stop being violent because because something's coming, right? There, there's something that's coming, and he was warning about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and and uh, everything that was going to happen at the hands of the Romans in AD sixty nine or seventy. Nobody agrees about exactly what year it was um, and what happened was basically the Romans got tired of the Jews constantly rebelling and up to that point the Romans had been very uh, what's the word tolerant of the Jews and their religion right they allowed the temple to exist they allowed Jewish people to follow Jewish customs and not follow some Roman customs right they 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 were for an empire, for an evil empire, they were bending over backwards for the Jews in a lot of ways. 
course they were doing bad things too, but I'm telling you, uh, Jesus is not trying to tell the Romans to do better. He's trying to warn uh, the Jews that they really have no chance, and if they keep rebelling, they are going to bring about the destruction of the temple, and and in so doing, really, the destruction of their religion, their way of life, uh, and the physical uh, lives of many, many Jews, women and children included, which is what happened in AD 70. And I believe that's what Jesus is doing in Matthew 24, is warning of this. But the end of Matthew 24 is this parable. After he talks about all of this destruction, and granted, they, they probably don't know exactly what he's talking about. <clears throat> they probably don't know exactly what he's talking about. Again, he's talking in, in you know, using colorful language so that they'll remember what he says. Um, and he does give some advice that when it happens, you should do this. You know, um, don't you know, just get out of the city. Uh, when it starts, just run, just just get away. Um, somehow Jesus knew what was happening in eighty seventy. He, he'd read the signs. Um, uh, he could see that things were going to come to a head because the, I guess you could say, because of the um, rebellion and the disobedience of the people of Israel. Now, the Romans were not good people. <laughs> That's a whole different thing. Um, and so, yes, this parable comes on the tail end of that. And maybe what he's saying is, hey, I'm, I'm telling you guys to not be violent, to not push the Romans. And you leaders, you guys who are leaving in charge, you know, I'm, I'm going to be crucified here pretty soon. I'm going to be gone. You guys need to continue to spread this spread my gospel, spread my message, which is love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Love your neighbor. Love one another as I have loved you. Love, love, love. Love will save you. Love will keep you from the consequences. And this is the food that the apostles or the slaves were meant to pass on to the rest of us. Love. If you don't love, if you don't love one another as I have loved you, you are going to end up in a bad way. And it's just going to be the consequences, right? This is what's going to happen, right? Now, I suppose there may be other layers that I haven't considered. For example, perhaps, you know, perhaps the master is Rome itself. Perhaps the master is Rome itself. That's quite possible. You know, uh, Rome is telling you to, to just do what you're supposed to do. Do what we tell you to do. Um, stop fighting back. Uh, stop disobeying. And then the headmaster could be the, the, the Jewish leaders, the, the leaders of the rebellion, the people who uh, do not listen to their Roman masters, uh, who continue to... Um, continue to disobey. And what happens is uh, 
the destruction of Jerusalem. There was a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth that day. Well, it was more than a day. I think it happened over months or years, uh, the besieging of Jerusalem. It was a very long and drawn-out thing. Jerusalem was a very fortified city. could be something as simple as that. Uh, but it doesn't mean that we can't get other, other, find other truths in these stories. These truths, these stories are, are in a sense true because we are able to find truth in them in many different ways uh, and apply them in, in many different areas, right? Many different situations. That's what makes them inherently true on some level, right? Um, boy, I'm coming close here. So when I get there, I'm going to have to fly and let you guys go. I'm going to stop drinking my coffee. Hopefully it won't spill anywhere. Uh, that's what makes parables true in a sense. And I get these ideas kind of from uh, things I've heard from, uh, from Jordan Peterson. He talks about the truth in Scripture is more than just did the events happen or not. It's not about whether they happen, it's whether they, the lessons that they teach are found to be true in life, right? Applicable, helpful, useful. And in, the, in those ways, they are true, right? They are true. Uh, so, yeah, I, <clears throat> it's a difficult parable, but I, I kind of like, I kind of like where I got got to with it. Um, you know, I had some ideas when I started about where it might take me, where we might get to or might not, but yeah, that's kind of interesting. That that last parable of the master and the disobedient slave, the slave that was not ready for his return, uh, who did not take care of his other slaves. Um, yeah, we could make a, a more politically correct version of it, you know, a shepherd and sheep, you could say, uh, you know, a, a manager and workers, you could say, uh, an elder and church members, you know, you could say all kinds of stuff. Um, I think it applies in many different ways. Jesus used slave and master because that's something that existed in that ancient, in the ancient Near East, right? That's something that they were very common with, slaves and masters, that was a real thing everywhere around them uh, and it was never a good thing I'm just gonna say that uh, it was never a good thing but it was it was nonetheless and I think Jesus in many other ways addressed the brutality of slavery um, I think his his holding of those in charge at a very high standard Husbands and, and slave owners, and, and uh, yeah. All right, so I gotta go. I gotta run in and teach these classes. So, thanks a lot. Bye bye.